This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, February 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, San Miguel County to lift mask mandate, Telluride considers 2D modifications, Linda Hogan looks for connections with nature, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... Montrose High School went into lockdown on Wednesday after a parent notified the school their child had brought a gun to campus. There was no shooting or injury. According to the Montrose School District, law enforcement officers cleared every classroom. Law enforcement did not find a gun on campus. The school was dismissed on time and evening school activities continued as scheduled. School district officials note the report was taken seriously and their primary concern is keeping children safe. San Miguel County Public Health will be lifting its mask mandate one week from today. Given the current improving COVID conditions, um, it does make sense for us to phase from um, a mask requirement and really um, switching to those best practices, switching to the education piece um, to um, allow people to um, move forward um, through this next phase of the response. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. The pandemic is not over, um, but there is enough confidence about where we're headed and what um, the disease trend looks like based off of what we know today, um, that we can um, really use the tools that we have um, in a different way to protect against severe disease um, and continue to minimize those disruptions to everyday life um, and keeping our our high-risk individuals safe. Those best practices include getting vaccinated and keeping up to date with boosters and continuing to wear masks in crowded indoor public spaces. Public health, we definitely recommend wearing well-fitting, high-quality masks in indoor crowded spaces or um, where um, you might feel safest to do so. It's really an important tool to limit transmission and then also to protect those um, in higher risk scenarios. Franklin notes there are also some spaces where masks will continue to be required even as the mandate is lifted. Healthcare and emergency medical settings, public transportation, including the gondola, jails, and any businesses that choose to require masks. In school settings, Franklin says districts are allowed to create their own guidance for mask requirements, and public health will be available to help make the decisions that make the most sense for each district. How do we move forward? recognizing that this truly is um, a a piece of the best practice, but we can't have um, a requirement forever, kids in masks forever, but have to take all these different pieces to um, be able to make the best path forward with the data that we know now. The shift comes as COVID metrics in San Miguel County and Colorado improve. As a state and as a Um, County, we've seen substantial decrease in um, cases and hospitalizations, um, as well as higher security in um, hospital capacity, both regionally and statewide. As for the rationale of holding off a week before lifting the mandate, Franklin says it's twofold. The first, of course, is to give space for businesses and um, uh, families and households to really determine how do they want to proceed and if they they want to take any extra precautions or getting extra support. 
uh, prior to this policy shift. But the second one is really, we are on that downward trajectory. Um, and if we follow the trends that we are, we'll be hitting that level orange framework. And so the disease burden will continue to be into a much more manageable frame by next week as well. The Board of County Commissioners were in unanimous support of Franklin's recommendation to lift the mask mandate. Commissioner Lance Waring also shared his appreciation for Franklin as the county moves through yet another era of the pandemic. Grace, I want to commend you for leading us through the last two years and especially this most recent Omicron surge. It uh, came out of the blue, came out unexpectedly, and We have no idea what's coming next, but for right now, I agree with your recommendation for the mask mandate to be lifted for San Miguel County as of February 9th. And I thank you for all the hard work that you've put into keeping this county COVID aware, COVID safe as best as possible. And I know it hasn't been easy. Thank you. San Miguel County's mask mandate will expire on Wednesday, February 9th. The town of Telluride is considering making changes to short-term rental license restrictions passed in last November's election. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more. In addition to doubling STR business license fees to increase funding for local affordable housing, Question 2D also capped, for two years, the number of STR licenses at the number issued on the day of the election. It also allowed a one-time exception for people purchasing properties that already have STR licenses. So if there was a valid and existing STR business license for a unit, if that unit sold, the subsequent purchaser would be eligible to also receive an STR business license. But it's a one-time exception. That was town attorney Kevin Geiger speaking to Telluride Town Council at a work session this week. Geiger also reminded council 2D was not a citizen initiative. Council referred it to the voters. And if it was a citizen initiative, then town council cannot amend that citizen initiative for six months after the election. Town council is free to pass amendments to what was approved by the voters as question 2D. And to do so, you'll recall it's two readings of an ordinance before town council. Council discussed four points around amending the STR restrictions. One focused on allowing an earlier moratorium on new STR licenses passed in August to automatically expire in late February. Another focused on a subset of units that can only be used as short-term rentals and may limit owner uses. So the owner could not actually use that rental unit as a primary residence. The change discussed would allow already existing licenses to pass to new owners more than the one-time transfer already allowed if, for instance, a unit sold twice. Council agreed to both of those changes with little discussion. A third question was whether to allow an exemption to the STR cap for people short-term renting out their primary residence. This would allow for new or additional STR business licenses to be issued if, again, an owner could demonstrate that that unit is being used as the primary residence of the individual. Council largely agreed with that change, but had a wide-ranging discussion on how people should prove that a place is their primary residence. Councilmember Dan Enright says some points under the town's voter registration requirements could allow for less stringent standards than he would like for a primary resident. My definition generally is 
a person who spends the majority of their time living and working here in our community. There was also uncertainty about how the exemption should apply to people whose primary residence is held by a corporate entity, such as a trust. Council instructed staff to put together some options for specific criteria for them to consider to implement the primary residence exception. The final question was around whether to implement a one-out, one-in system, such as a lottery or waitlist, to reallocate any unrenewed STR licenses. One complication with that is someone who already had a license last year can renew it any time in 2022. So you're not going to know whether someone is not electing to renew their license until a considerable period of time into 2022. We think it really is through the end of the year. Beyond that complication, the one-out one-in question essentially gets down to whether 2D should keep the number of STR licenses constant or allow it to decrease. Councilmember Geneva Shawnette leans toward the latter option. I felt like I compromised a lot passing 2D onto the ballot at all. So I'm not interested in issuing new licenses Uh, I feel differently about primary residence licenses because I feel that they are guaranteed to not take a home away from someone who lives here. Councilmember Mian Fee feels otherwise. If we have maxed out our licenses as per the number that we had on November 2nd, 2021, so be it. But if we do have additional licenses that have not been utilized or applied for or um, issued, the voters have asked us to be able to go up to that number. And so I think we need to be mindful of the fact that if that is what they voted into legislation, then that's something that we do need to find a solution for. There was also extensive public comment in support of a one-out, one-in system. Council did not make any final decisions on the question at Tuesday's work session, but they instructed staff to draft options for legislation for a system to reallocate unrenewed licenses starting next year. Council also plans to consider legislation for the primary resident exception and the exception for properties that can't serve as primary residences. But no matter what happens, none of these decisions will be for the long term. 2D's STR license cap is only in place for two years. I am a warrior wanting this world to survive, never forgotten. Linda Hogan wanted to be a biologist, but between keeping a job and night classes, she couldn't get the classes she needed in college. I ended up um, majoring in English instead, and then in psychology. And so it was interesting because somehow I became a writer instead of everything else that I'd studied. But as a writer, I learned more about psychology through literature than I did from any of the classes I took. And I think I learned, I have learned a great deal about the sciences from being a writer. Hogan is a poet, author, playwright, Pulitzer Prize finalist. This week she'll be leading a discussion on the connections with nature, focusing on how humans can enhance their connections with the natural world through discussion and writing. Everything I write is about the human connection with the land or with events that are affecting the land. Her love for nature, the environment, the connectedness of humanity with the earth filters into everything she does. Even as we're talking, I'm watching the birds that I climbed through snow to feed today. 
and um, I'm watching them fly around and eat. And um, I'm an observer. I'm a witness, and I'm aware of what's happening to the earth. And um, I'm very uh, conscientious, I guess I would say, about what I care for, what I love and where my heart is, and my heart is with what's happening to our whole planet. She says writing can draw you even closer to stewardship of the land. Once you begin to write, it's your teacher. If you stay in your mind all the time, if you think all the time, it won't take you there. But if you start to do something that's in the creative world, um, painting, writing, making music, you move into a parallel way of thought and and it takes you deeper into a world that, um, what can I say, it takes you deeper into the world. I am from a line of songs a particle of history told by the wrong people, a country before lines of division. In every gully lies the power of a forest waiting. It heard the stories the elders told when they crossed this canyon where I live. I dreamed they passed down to the creek bed each human creation still present, also loving the same stones I love, the mosses between them, the remembered creek that runs all year. It is hard for some to know the world is a living being. Some live with forgotten truth. Others replace truth with belief. That's why the books of the Maya were burned, like the ones in Australia and the close north. We can weep over such things as lost love, as the passing away of others, but also remember those birds, the bison, the grief they have felt, and how the land hurts in more chambers than one small heart could ever hold. The Connections with Nature discussion is a collaboration with the Telluride Institute and the Wilkinson Public Library. The event will take place at 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 3rd via Zoom. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Telluride is one step closer to changing language in its land use code in anticipation of 5G coming to town. The ordinance includes, uh, as, as we indicated at our meeting in January, um, operational standards, review procedures, application requirements, uh, noticing requirements, installation standards, and an administrative uh, waiver process. That's Telluride Planning and Building Director Ron Quarles presenting to town council on Tuesday. 
Currently, Telluride has a 4G wireless network, but based on state and federal regulations, the town cannot restrict a wireless provider, such as Verizon or AT&T, from coming in and setting up small cell or 5G antennas. Since 5G antennas will inevitably be coming to town, the change to the land use code aims to regulate where they're allowed to go and what they're allowed to look like. Town Council discussed the changes on a second reading of an ordinance. Following the last meeting, Quarles says town staff did meet with representatives from Verizon about language in the ordinance. He says based on that conversation, they've made some changes. It pertains to shot clock provisions. Uh, That's essentially the review times. While town did make changes based on requests from Verizon, assistant town attorney Ali Slayton notes the changes were not made to make it easier for the company to install 5G technology. Those changes that we've been making as Verizon has been giving us comments are to make sure that the ordinance is solid and won't be legally challenged. Um, We the changes that we've made have not been done so to make it easier for Verizon. They have been made um, so that we are meeting all of the requirements that we need to meet and that we are regulating to the greatest extent that we can. Town Council passed the ordinance on second reading, five to one, with Council Member Jesse Ray Arguez voting against. Council Member Lars Carlson was not present for the vote. Council will discuss and vote on the ordinance on third reading at its February 22nd meeting. Get your snowshoes or skins ready. The Telluride Foundation's second Skidula is coming to town. The winter equivalent of the Rundala, the Skidula is an uphill race starting from the base of the gondola in Telluride and finishing at the top of the ridge by San Sofia Station. Racers gain nearly 2,000 feet in elevation any way they can on snow, either by snowshoe or skis and skins. The race benefits the Telluride Mountain Club's Peter Inglis Avalanche Education Fund, which aims to create opportunities for avalanche education and backcountry awareness. The Skidula will take place on March 23rd, starting at 5.30 p.m. Any and everyone is encouraged to participate. Registration is available at runreg.com slash Skidula. The light of a full moon dancing on sparkling snow is a magical thing. This year, Ridgeway State Park is embracing that beauty with full moon walks over the next several months. The full moon walks will take place on Wednesday, February 16th, Friday, March 18th, and Saturday, April 16th. The February walk will start at 5.30 p.m. at the Ridgeway State Park Visitor Center. Later walks will start later, as the days get longer. Snowshoes will be available for those who don't have them and want them. As climate becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, we're heading to the front range. In an effort to provide access to solar energy for mobile home residents, the city of Boulder came up with a unique solution, a solar garden. KGNU's Rosana Longo-Better reports. We are in the Boulder as a community. We are uh, walking and see the new things that uh, we have uh, 
Kirin Ponderosa, like the street, new lights. Ponderosa is one of the five mobile home parks in the city of Boulder. In 2019, the city purchased the park to maintain affordable housing and to improve park infrastructure. One of the projects the city took on was creating access to solar energy for the residents. A lot of things, a lot of changes that we have having in, in Ponderosa. Carlos Valdez, who has lived in Ponderosa for nine years, says his energy bill is now lower. During the summer, I was paying like 80, 90 dollars, and now I'm paying 40, 35. It was my lowest bill. Ponderosa residents getting the solar energy save on average more than $400 on their electricity bills each year. Low-income communities typically pay higher energy costs as the homes are often not well insulated and are less energy efficient. Caroline Elam, Energy Systems Senior Manager for the City of Boulder, said in addition, mobile home residents have historically been excluded from accessing solar energy because the panels don't fit on the home. They can't support solar panels on their roof. They're not structural. There's other limitations. And so we really wanted to figure out how to come up with a solution that benefited everybody in the community. The city came up with the idea of a solar garden located outside of the park. So one of the benefits of what we have as a, as a city organization is we own a lot of land and structures. And so several years ago, we did an analysis. We hired a company to look at where all the potential was um, on things that the, the city itself owned. So whether that was um, buildings like an airport or our municipal buildings or land. Um, and this particular garden, we found a location for it. It's adjacent to the Boulder Reservoir at the north end of Boulder. And one of the benefits of solar gardens is they don't have to be located exactly um, where the, the customers are, the people who are getting the benefits of it, so we can take advantage of places that are have that space to install the system. Elam says the funding for the project comes from a completely different industry. It's funds we actually um, collect as part of our um, marijuana cultivation licensing process, coincidentally, but um, they're required uh, to offset their energy. We reinvest that in the community, so we had some, some funding available, and we were able to make that investment, and we started looking at different ways we could bring solar. The first resident to allow the city to install the solar system is Kathy Slurth. Yeah, I ended up being the first person who actually got hooked up. It, it, it didn't start till. I think it was July last year when, when it physically was going to be turned on. But it was a couple of months before the glitches all got worked out. And so my first bill was um, an $80 savings. and But it's averaged out so far to about $37 a month. And we were told that the city was going to up how much uh, solar energy we could have. And so we were told at some point that our bill should be at least paid half of our bill, which would really be nice. And it was kind of nice, too, that the way it worked out. So it was actually hooked up before we had to start using our furnaces to help balance the extra bill added on from, you know, now having to heat our homes for the winter. 
The Ponderosa Solar Garden is the first city-owned garden in the country that is dedicated to low-income participants. The city is looking at other solar garden projects to expand access to renewable energy to other low-income communities, renters, and those who live in multifamily buildings. For KGNU, I am Rosana Longoveter. Colorado lawmakers are debating a bill to force hospitals and nursing homes to allow in-person visitation during pandemics. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. The bill's first hearing was the most emotional day at the Capitol so far this session. Supporter Steve Ryder says he was not allowed to visit his wife at a Denver hospital in the weeks before she died at the start of the pandemic. I'll go to my grave believing that had we been allowed one screened visitor per day with no time limits, that my boys would still have their mother. The Colorado Hospital Association is the only group opposing the bill. Lobbyist Josh Ewing said visitation restrictions were balanced and saved lives. We don't believe that this is a state legislative issue or that the state legislature should be telling hospitals how to make clinical decisions. Lawmakers delayed a vote on the bill after two hours of testimony. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around zero. Wind chill values could get as low as negative 10 degrees. Thursday should be mostly sunny with a high near 20 and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Thursday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around zero and wind chill as low as negative 15. Friday, expect sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night with a high in the mid-30s and a low around 10. This has been the news for Wednesday, February 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.